Bitcoin with Jake. This is a podcast all about Bitcoin. What is it? Why is it important? And who is involved? You can expect rich conversations focused on people's personal journeys through the good and the bad. You'll learn how intrinsic to society money really is, with Bitcoiners from all across the ecosystem detailing their unique lens on this nascent technology. Discussions cover a myriad of different topics, economics, education, entrepreneurship, history, human rights, mental health, philosophy, politics, science, sustainability, and technology. If you're anything like me, then you'll find this the most engaging subject you've ever encountered, so I'm sure you will enjoy it. Lastly, if you like the show, please share it far and wide. Family, friends, everyone you know can benefit from understanding more about Bitcoin. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today I'm speaking with Rishi. Rishi, how are you? I am doing great today, Jake. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? I'm very, very well, thank you. No, I appreciate you asking. It's, as we said offline, it's a uh, well, early in the morning for he- me here in Melbourne and for you in Guatemala in the evening. So slightly different energies, but great to to spend some time together for an hour. And I'm looking forward to learning, um, well, what brought you to today and the, the projects you're working on and um, and learning more about you, basically. So, yeah, always excited by yeah, this conversation. I'm excited. Um, Same. Yeah, Richard, Thanks for having so, me on. Yeah, no pleasure. So, um, Bitcoin is a big part of your life today. It wasn't always yeah. the case. So, um as a, as a first question, um, do you have a friend that you can remember who introduced you to Bitcoin? When was it? And just tell us a little bit about um, you know your first interactions with it. Yeah, great question. Uh, so my Bitcoin journey started in 2017. I'm Guatemalan, and yep. back in 2017, I was working in corporate, and I've always been in the tech industry. And I've always read a bunch of articles. And by 2017, it was really hard to ignore Bitcoin. It was all over the place. There was a lot of uh, tech articles trying to explain it. And the big ICO boom that happened in 2017 made it really hard to ignore. And the thing about being here in Guatemala, which is a third world country, back in 2017, when I actually decided to try this out and to try the technology, it was really hard to obtain. Uh, There was no community in 2017. There were no friends of mine that actually knew about Bitcoin. And I started going down the rabbit hole and I started asking and trying to figure out where it is that I could buy some Bitcoin and how it is that I was gonna be able to do that. And my journey is actually quite curious. I like to call it from from shitcoin to Bitcoin, because <laughs> I am uh, one of those cases where I started shitcoining, you know, and I, I knew that I wanted to get a hold of this technology and test it out for myself because it sounded wonderful. You know, I read the white paper and I said, this is amazing. This sounds like hard money. But I, I really didn't understand the value proposition of Bitcoin back in 2017. And since I couldn't buy any because I didn't know how, then I started researching how to actually mine Bitcoin. And when I started reading about ASICs and I had a very small home at the time, you know, two bedroom um, and the amount of noise that the ASICs were going to produce, I knew that my partner was going to kill me. And so that doesn't work. That definitely doesn't work. So I was looking at alternatives and then 
I, I ran across Ethereum and it was, yeah, you know, this is actually something that you can mine with GPUs and you can, um, it doesn't make as much noise and it's actually quite simple to do. And I've always been a hardware guy personally, love hardware. And so I did a little bit of research and after crunching some numbers, I said, you know what, let's do this. I went to Miami and I bought six graphics cards and I built my little Frankenstein, which is what I like to call it, in the corner, six graphics cards, and I started mining Ethereum. And for me, like the, the moment where I was like, okay, this is actually real, was uh, when I started seeing that go into my wallet. And so that kind of just started my journey into cryptocurrencies, but not yet really into Bitcoin. Mm. Um, that was back in 2017, right around June-ish, maybe a little bit earlier. And yeah, it took me about five years. You know, it was really until I was introduced to the Lightning Network that I was convinced that it has always been Bitcoin. And we can get into that a little bit later. So that's kind of like a little bit of my background as to how I got started and uh, my journey in the beginning. Awesome. There's um, lots of questions to have straight away. I mean, the main one is um, <laughs> so. Um, as far as I can remember, I've never been to Guatemala. I made it to Nicaragua, which is very close by, but um, mm -hmm. never into Guatemala itself. So for those of us that uh, don't know a lot about um, your home country, just teach us a bit about what growing up in Guatemala was like for you. Yeah, that's a great question, Jake. I appreciate that. So living in a third world country, Guatemala, just geographically, is right below Mexico. We're, we're in the middle between Mexico, Belize, and El Salvador. and Growing up in Guatemala was quite interesting. I'm Guatemalan-American. My father is American, and I went to a very privileged school. And I, I lived in a kind of like in a bubble, just very privileged to have an excellent education in an international school. And it wasn't until I came back from the States studying computer science that I really saw the reality of my country. And 70% of Guatemala is, um, is suffering from malnutrition. It is still a very, very poor country and it's very, very divided. You know, in the city, you have a lot of money. You have a lot of very rich families that kind of run the country. And as soon as you start going into the outskirts, you see the immediate shift in poverty. And when I was exposed to that reality is when I was really convinced that I wanted to do something for my country. And that's kind of why I'm so passionate about this project, about Bitcoin Lake, is because it's my way of giving back to my country. Awesome. And I, I love Genesis stories for projects. There's always so much more to it, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, we, we're influenced by the world around us. You know, life is a crazy journey, isn't it? We, we do stuff, we realize something, we figure out something different and then we see, and, and, and one's worldview changes as well so much over time. Um, okay, and, and so um, you also mentioned doing computer science and going to the States for university. So that I imagine was also quite a big kind of cultural change. Like if you grew up in Guatemala, even if you are at an international school, like heading over to America. Um, yeah. What would you say were some of the, the takeaway experiences from, you know, having that change in where you lived and equally like computer science, I assume is what turned you into a hardware guy. Talk to me a bit about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great questions, Jake. I'm really appreciating this. No, I, you know, I, 
I studied computer science for two years and I really just noticed how it was a different world to me. You know, when I went to, I studied in Marymount College and I did that for two years over in California and just little simple things. You know, I had visited the United States back then, but for me, having a subway, for example, was like completely out of this world that actually ran on time, completely out of this world. And, uh, <laughs> You know, being there in a first world country for that amount of time, it just, it, it kind of spoiled me a little bit. You know, I was there, I started getting used to the comforts and the organization and the nice roads and, um, and the technology, you know, and just the exuberant lifestyle, a lot of consumerism. And when I returned to my country I, and saw the poverty, I just, it hit me in the face. You know, mm. it was very blatant and it was very, very different than what I lived. And even though I did study computer science, I actually came back here to Guatemala and I graduated as an industrial engineer. A little bit about my educational background. Uh, I'm an industrial engineer and okay. I have a postgraduate degree in quality assurance and uh, a master's, an MBA from a local university and then an MIM from Tulane University over in New Orleans. Wow. NOLA. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, you mentioned you were a hardware guy, so you got into the tech industry, yeah. like you got, stu- you, you know, you got your studies done. Um, did you work in entrepreneurship or, um, did you start, you know, were you an inventor? Like what, what route did that take you down? Corporate. I really fell in love with the corporate structure. I, I was hired early on, um, to work in the BPO industry and a lot of outsourcing comes to Guatemala. You know, the big call center boom in Central America happened when a lot of the companies in the United States started outsourcing uh, their call center operations and other backend operations. And taking advantage of the fact that I'm fluent in English, fluent in Spanish, mm. you know, um, I, I'm native in both. And I was able to, uh, I was a good candidate to work in that industry. And I, I completely fell in love with it. Like I was very good at it. It was very structured. Uh, I, I actually enjoy, you know, the hierarchical structure and the rules, you know, my mathematical mind really enjoys the, the, the context of having all of these different operations and the complexities of it. I love the complexity of it. And I actually did that for about 15 years in uh, wow. different positions, but always in the BPO industry, which continues to be a really big industry here in Guatemala. And so what do you mean by BPO? business process outsourcing okay and yeah what would be an example use case of um you know what that role exposes you to so um some of the kind of day-to-day skills that you have to pick up as as part of the process yeah i was a project manager for quite a long time Mm -hmm. and i was a project manager for software development teams and after a couple of promotions i was uh the service delivery manager, which is basically the manager of different accounts. And one of the accounts that I worked on is actually healthcare. And you'll know that in the United States, there are very complex healthcare programs and there's enrollment periods and there's claims that need to be made. And all of these things are coming through different inputs. We have, uh, they're either they're coming through mail or they're coming through fax or they're coming through email. And what a lot of companies are doing in the United States, especially in healthcare, a lot of healthcare outsourcing, is that all of these kind of data entry, call center 
jobs that um, can be outsourced are. Mm -hmm. And so what we would do is we, we would take a lot of this information, whether it be enrollments, paperwork, basically, and we would organize them, send them over to India or the Philippines, and we have just people doing data entry on these forms. And then at the end, we would give the client, here you go, here's your file with all the information. So you don't have to worry about that. And we would charge per piece, for example. It's okay. a huge industry. It's a huge industry. You know, it doesn't wow. require a lot of, it's very operational. It doesn't require a lot of uh, creativity. You know, mm -hmm. it's just very mechanical. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's what I would, that's what I worked on for, for 15 years. And, and it's the kind of thing that strikes me that, you know, it, it will get automated at some stage. It just hasn't yes. quite been done yet. Um, yeah. And what intrigues me about that, I mean, you know, someone like yourself, so you, you had some computer science experience, you ended up, um, you know, qualifying as an engineer, and then ended up running software teams. Now, that's yeah. a pretty good exposure to the technology space that has been, in my eyes, like the most rampant the last 20, 30 years, which is software. And that old yes. saying of Mark Andreessen, you know, software is eating the world. So you're in a great position to witness what is essentially a modern phenomenon. Um, and then, of course, along come cryptocurrencies, which are software. Um, to me, that is a good mix, you know, because you're able yeah. to look at it. Like you started your story by saying, oh, I, I kicked off by doing some mining. Well, to most people, like, understanding that process would be like way too hard um, but now you've oh, explained yeah. all that then the context it's 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 clear why you started looking at it um, yeah Jake and I really loved it I really enjoyed tweaking with the graphics cards and I'd like you know I would buy my my electricity meter and I would have my little excel you know and I I, I knew how to overclock the 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 graphics cards and it's all about balance you know and it's it's really interesting I'm so grateful for that experience because getting that type of exposure really ex really exposed me to kind of like the economics of miners, which is such a large component of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Mm. And a lot of people don't really understand how that all works and how much that drives Bitcoin. Mm. And having, having that exposure was, was really great. So I was able to just really understand not only Ethereum, but also um, Bitcoin mining as well. I started doing workshops quickly and I found a community finally in 2017, but what kind of, I, I like how we're kind of taking it in chronological order. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get we'll, there. I'll kind of explain we'll, that. We'll get there. Bit. I think, yeah, no, I, and we're not yeah. far off to be honest, but, um, so, uh, the 15 years you spent in this corporate area, like that's now come to an end and you're working in Bitcoin full time. Are you, or it's still something yes. that you do? You are. Okay. Brilliant. Yes. How yes. Cool. Yeah. I actually, uh, I actually quit my job last year awesome. to dedicate myself 100% to Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, brilliant tee up for a question here being, why did you do that? <laughs> uh, people ask me that um, all the time. I, I love it, by the way, like having, having, having conviction in something, um, you know, it, it's, it's beautiful to see. And there are so many people that are making these decisions. And this is what this podcast is all about is, why are all these people converging on this technology and making what are seemingly large risks with their careers, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and people are like, you're all crazy, but are mm -hmm. they, you know, yeah. so Rishi, yeah. why did you quit your job and go all in on Bitcoin? That's a great question. Ah, so first I, I really want to, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to have gotten in when I got in, 
and to have been able to purchase Bitcoin um, in 2017. And I, right around October, I made a very risky decision. This is not financial advice, but I was so convinced that this was going to be the future that I did something that no one should do, which is I took out a loan and I finally found out how to actually purchase Bitcoin. And I remember back in the day, um, just that experience of having that conviction and purchasing, taking out a loan and then buying Bitcoin back in 2017, right before the ICO boom crashed, um, right around October in 2017. Yeah. Um, I, I remember still to this day, like sending that money over to Japan because I, I, I used Kraken. And at that time they, they were banked in, in, in Japan and sending that money and then just kind of like clicking refresh on, <laughs> on the account. Just like, is my money here? Is my money Where here? Is it? I didn't know. Where yeah. is it? Like, and this is actually one of the things that has, I, I like to explain to people when I'm doing my workshops is that it really takes time to trust in the technology. And, you know, this was a swift transaction, but it also applied a lot to whenever I had to send a Bitcoin transaction. Like it really takes some time. When you click send that first time, you have no idea if it's going to get to its destination, you know? And then 10 minutes later, or maybe 30 minutes later, the transaction yeah, actually is. lands and you're like, oh, okay, you breathe. But yeah. the second time, you're still, it, it, you're still a little scared. <laughs> like it took me about like 30 transactions to just very blindly copy, paste, check the last three digits, take, yeah. check the first three digits, yeah. send, and it's Bang. like, I don't even worry. I know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very similar. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I... So, so I took a loan, loan out and you bought some cryptocurrency at the top of what bought was the market. Bought some Bitcoin. Yeah. No, actually it was right before the big run. Ah, like, okay, okay. It was right around like October, maybe a little bit before that. And so it was right before the big run and I was able to cash out a little bit but then I, I, I lived and I lived through the bear market that followed for the next two years, you know, it was gruesome. And then that lifted. And so why was I able to quit my job is thanks to Bitcoin. Mm. Thanks to Bitcoin, I was able to make enough money to actually um, be comfortable. And I, what I like to say is that Bitcoin gave me time because now I'm in no rush. I'm in zero rush to spend my Bitcoin and because I know that it's going to appreciate over time. Mm. And so it's thanks to Bitcoin that I was able to quit my job and dedicate myself now to this project, which is Bitcoin Lake, which is my way of giving back to Guatemala. My way of giving back to my country is I want to give you what Bitcoin gave to me. And I went through this very grueling five-year process I, I, I want to save you some pain. I want to save you some trouble. And I want to give that to the people that need it most, you know, which is all the people that are unbanked. It's all the people that are, um, don't have access to financial services. They are the ones who need Bitcoin the most. And, and let's, let's talk through that. I don't want to call it a use case because it sounds like some kind of like startup pitch you know, ceremony, which this is absolutely not <laughs> this is people's lives. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. but you know, you, you share with me an article you'd recently written, um, uh, before the call that was talking about how you're designing community programs, uh, at Bitcoin Lake, as you've called it in Guatemala. So 
just mm-hmm. teach us more about like what was the the genesis of that project who lives there why is it important to them and and as you mentioned like so how many people in guatemala are unbanked how many people have no access to financial services um what is the the current situation for anyone living in guatemala when it comes to you know trying to you know use money like what money is used there just t- teach us all about you know why yeah. bitcoin lake is so important yeah, thanks, Jake. That's a great question. Again, you're just knocking them out of the park today, Jake. <laughs> really appreciate you. I love it. I love it. It's a real passion. <laughs> so, uh, how was Bitcoin Lake born? I so I was I was always a city kid. You know, I was whether it be here or whether it be in the states. I was always living in a city, and. Two and a half years ago, I actually asked myself if this is some if this was an active decision in my life. Like, am I just falling into some sort of hamster wheel? Do I actually want to live in the city? And I love camping, I love nature, I love conscious communities. And I decided to make a big change in my life. And so I moved to Lake Atitlan, which is about two and a half hours away from, from, from Guatemala City. Uh, into this town called San Marcos La Laguna. And for those of you not aware of Lake Atitlan, Lake Atitlan is composed of about 17 different small towns around a lake. And it's a gorgeous space. And I think National Geographic categorized it as the most beautiful lake in the world. We're very proud of it. We wanna take care of it. And the energy there was just incredible the conscious community that I was in really showed me a lot of things that the city couldn't, you know, especially things about community. And I fell in love with the place. And in that process, I knew that there was a lot of, there was a lot of foreigners, there's a lot of expats that love to retire around the lake. And there's a lot of people that come all over the world to the lake. And as I was there, you know, I was noticing that there was a lot of people talking about Bitcoin, talking about cryptocurrency, and there was no one taking leadership in establishing meetups. And so going back maybe about five years to before I went to the lake, something that's important is because I was so early in Guatemala to be one of the first uh, people that was actively involved in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrency back in the day, and I was a miner, started doing workshops, we started actually building a community called uh, Blockchain for Newbies. And that started to grow quite quickly. And right around 2018, you know, we were about 200 members strong. And what we used to do is, again, we started doing meetups. And uh, we really understood that Bitcoin was so much about community. And we started doing meetups and I started meeting other people that were passionate. You know, I'm a libertarian. They were libertarians and they they also fell in love with technology and we were all just kind of learning together. And so we built this community in Guatemala City. And funny thing, because out of that community, the leaders of that community now have different businesses in Bitcoin. We have Ebex, we have CoinKaix, uh, we have Osmo that's coming out. Like all of these uh, leaders in the space kind of were born in that small community back in 2017. And Guatemala is quite small. So we kind of all know each other. We all kind of support each other, which is great. 
So since I had that experience of forming community from zero, I decided to do the same thing in Lake Catitlan. And so I started doing meetups and I started a telegram group and people started joining and quickly I started uh, being a leader in the space. And a lot of people would start asking me questions about this. And I was like, okay, this is actually happening. And there's a lot of people that are, are just really, really interested in the space. Then about three months in, I get a phone call from a friend of mine. He said, listen, uh, I have Peter McCormack and we're in El Salvador. And he says he wants to go visit what you're doing over in Lake Atitlan. Do you think you guys could host a meetup and we could do an interview? And I was like, absolutely. I was super excited because I was, I've been following him since 2017, mm. you know, so I was kind of, geeking out and I was celebrity <laughs> struck from the fact yeah. that Peter McCormack is going to come struck, check out this yeah. project. That was amazing. I was super, super excited. Uh, this was in May of last year. And, and so I said, absolutely bring him over. And so he, he did, he came and we had a meetup and this is, this is where the idea of Bitcoin Lake was born. We were doing the interview and I, I was convinced that I wanted to implement some sort of payment system for the lake, uh, but I didn't know what was the right tool. And I had lived Bitcoin transactions and I said, listen, like it's not feasible for me to be able to do a microtransaction with Bitcoin when I got to pay anywhere between five to $15 per transaction and wait time. It doesn't seem very feasible. So I started looking for other tools and looking at other shit coins. And I, I didn't know exactly what was the best solution for this. And so when Peter McCormack came, he was like lightning network. And I had heard about the lightning network by then two years prior. And I actually tried it and it was clunky. I had to manually open channels. Um, the user experience was not very good. Um, it was just very, very complicated. So I had that bias from that first experience mm. to, to then what it was at that time. And Peter McGregor said, nope, it's Lightning Network. And we kind of got into like this little scuffle. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, he's, he's pretty much Bitcoin only. And he was just very, very convinced. And, and he said, you know what? Go to Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador and check it out. Mm. And I was like, bet you got a deal. And so we got about five members from the community and we went to Bitcoin beach. And that is when I saw the light. That's when I was convinced that it is Bitcoin. It has always been Bitcoin. It's always going to be Bitcoin was when I was experiencing the lightning network. That was a game changer for me. The people over at El Sonte and Hope House, you know, uh, big salute over to Christian and everybody over at Bitcoin Beach for all the work that they did. Uh, they received us and they explained to us that first and foremost, Bitcoin Beach was actually social programs. And I got goosebumps when he told me that because everything just kind of started to click and make sense. Mm. And um, we loaded up our wallets, you know, we started using the Lightning Network. And that's when I said, I need to implement this in Lake Catitlan. Guatemala. This is it. This is the tool. This is the technology. I was a hundred percent convinced that this was the way to go. And it is, I think you're right. And I mean, it is. it's, it's fascinating. And I mean, as 
entrepreneurs or entrepreneurship does funny things but you know an age-old idea is you go to a country you see a business working really well you go back to your hometown it doesn't exist there you recreate said business with a slightly different brand and a local twist and bang you've mm-hmm. got a business and it, it's, mm-hmm. it works because humans are similar um and of course what's happening in el salvador is a very similar you know problem solution statement to what happens in guatemala which is people are unbanked the financial service system doesn't function properly. Like people need help. Yes. And yeah. this is a tool that enables that. Um, yes. And, and so let, let's, let's talk through that in a bit more detail. So um, I'm a local of Lake Atiklan. I'm like, what am I trying to do every day that I can't, that I need to? And how do I currently do it? And, and how does your project Bitcoin Lake help introduce them to uh, at this different system that is Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, great question. So in San Marcos, Laguna, this is an example. Yeah, there yeah. are no banks. We have uh, one ATM that works half the time. And you have a lot of <laughs> foreigners that come that's in and stuff. they actually want to spend laugh, money. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reality. That's the reality. And yeah. this, is, this is a major hotspot. Like, take into account, this is a major hotspot in Guatemala. And yeah. even even then, being a major hotspot, simply the uh, the banking industry can't really fulfill that demand, and they haven't. They, they don't have any interest in it because th- these aren't the clients that actually give them revenue, you know. So they have actually yeah. no interest to actually provide them with service. And so in the lake, which is huge, like I said, seventeen towns, there's only two towns that actually have banks. Mm. Every everybody else relies on ATMs that work half the time wow. so for for foreigners this is actually very useful to have bitcoin as a payment system within the lake mm. because they they don't have to worry about that they don't have to worry about whether the atm because they have money elsewhere they don't have money here in guatemala they have money in the states they have money in europe yeah. and the banking system in guatemala is so closed that it's basically impossible for a foreigner to open a bank account and unless he's using his atm you know every other day which is gonna incur with crazy fees there is no other way for him to um him or her to 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 put money in in in, into guatemala to buy goods and to pay for their hotel and there's not a lot of credit card usage in the lake either and the reason behind this is kind of the same Um, the there's kind of like a monopoly in Guatemala in regards to credit card providers and businesses are charged anywhere between five to 7% per transaction. Wow. And it requires them to be banked. It requires a crap ton of paperwork. It's clunky. It's bureaucratic. It takes a long time. And so that's why most of the transactions and most of the business that's run at the lake is all in cash. Most people don't accept credit cards. And so you have, you have a gap, right? You have the, the, the tourist that has a credit card, which is basically their only form of payment because it's really hard to get cash. And then you have the local vendor that doesn't accept credit cards. So how can we bridge them together? Bitcoin fixes this right there. Brilliant. Um, This is such a really good use case. And there's a couple more, you know, there's, there's a, there's a fact that there's a lot of foreigners that want to buy land. They want to retire in, uh, at the lake. So if it's hard to bring down $500, let alone 50 
hundred dollars, you know, fifty thousand mm. um, dollars. It's it's even harder to get that money down. And so again, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin is able to bridge the gap between people that want to spend money and people that have businesses there at the lake. And and so what when you say using cash, that is with U.S. dollars, or there's a Guatemalan currency. The Guatemalan currency is Quetzal. And the exchange okay. rate is about 7.75 quetzales per dollar. Okay. And um, and the quetzal. So what is the history of the quetzal? So is this a money that is well managed and has a, a low inflation rate or is it the opposite? How how has the, the financial health of Guatemala been managed over the years? And is using cash a problem for people or they're quite happy to do it? Um, obviously, an ATM that only works 50% of the time I imagine makes it quite difficult to use cash. Yeah. But to, uh, to talk a little about the status quo in that sense, like how is the the financial system managed as at present? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So the the monetary policy in Guatemala, um, some people would say, is actually one of the things that this country actually does decently. Okay. And we we had an exchange rate of about five quetzales per dollar um, for probably about a couple of decades. It wasn't until, um, I wanna say about a decade ago that it actually broke that parity and started to uh, increase. And okay. in regards to actual commerce, most of, you know, I'm not up to date with the statistics, but I wanna say around at least 65%, if not more, probably a whole lot more, like 75% of all the money that is circulating is done through cash and it's done through informal transactions. Wow. Um, okay. Because there's so many people that are unbanked and a large part of uh, the economy is based on the big markets in the different parts of Guatemala and it's all cash there. It is all cash. Yeah. So cash is a big, big component. Um, and even though the inflation is is, is, is is decent in regards to the dollar, we all know how the dollar has just been crazy right, right yeah. now, especially right now with inflation because we're dependent on it. We're so close yeah. to the United States that anything that happens to the dollar impacts us. Yeah, I'm sure. Wow. And so um, yeah, what struck me, in, in, and I mentioned again the article that you, uh, you shared with me before, thank you, uh, was... I enjoy talking about these macro issues, you know, what's the business case? Why does that make sense? But, you know, some people don't really care about that. They just want to be shown mm-hmm. that they can, it's safe, they can trust it, and it's better than the current yes. situation. And so you made a really yeah. great point, which was there are, you know, let's say there are potential expats moving to Lake Ataclan. They want to buy property. They need to build a house. They need to find someone who's a, a mason or, a, um, you know, a... a a furniture maker or something and these guys are all there but they obviously you know they demand cash why do they need to change that's how it's always worked blah 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 uh, and you've designed programs that are much more kind of bottom up is the phrase you used so you're yeah. you're putting the technology in people's hands you're teaching them how to download lightning wallets how to send transactions to each other um, people like you and i who have become um you know this deep down the rabbit hole in a trying to teach people about it and talk about it like it's a constant game like how do you best teach people about bitcoin 
And, and one frame yeah. I always like is what's a person's biggest problem. If you can identify yeah. that, let's say they're unbanked, that's quite a big problem. Or they're an expat that's trying to move money across countries. That's quite a big problem. There's different solutions Bitcoin provides. But where did the genesis for the bottom-up approach come from? And how much more success with that have you had versus previously like, you know, beating people around the head with the Bitcoin standard and saying, you know, <laughs> read this book. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to kind of go back in time to when Bitcoin Lake actually was created. And when I came back from El Salvador, from El Sonte and Bitcoin Beach, and I was convinced that it was Lightning Network that we needed to implement here at, at the lake for a payment system. And it was a perfect Trojan horse for uh, people to be exposed to this technology. I, I presented the project to the community and I told them that First and foremost, you know, Bitcoin Lake was a Bitcoin only project. You know, by that time, I was completely and utterly orange pilled and I was convinced that it was Bitcoin and it had to be Bitcoin. And uh, I said that this was going to be a Bitcoin only project and that it was going to be social programs funded by Bitcoin. And to be able to actually have those social programs, we were going to have to um, embarked this through three different phases. And phase number one was actually creating the circular economy. Um, and that means training the locals. That means training everybody on how to use the Lightning Network. And I knew that one of the key elements was going to have an easy cash out method because it took me, you know, five years to be convinced, you know, and it took me a really long time to go from shitcoin to Bitcoin. and we're talking about the poorest population you know, of Guatemala and they, they need to pay their bills, you know, and savings is a luxury for a lot of people here in, in Guatemala. And so I knew that first and foremost, we had to find a way for them to change their Bitcoin into Quetzales if they needed to. And, and so working together with, uh, uh, a, a a brother at the lake, his name is Pat. You know, we 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 kind of talked about it, and he actually brought down a Bitcoin ATM from Lamazu all the way from Portugal, and so this was a, like a really important component to um, having the technology not be such a big leap. If we were going to bring things that are familiar to people that have used it in the past, um, it was going to be huge. So. Um, by having that Bitcoin ATM available and having them use it and having um, giving them an, an opportunity to cash out their Bitcoin whenever it is that they wanted uh, was going to be an important part of uh, the circular economy, which is just phase one. And there's two other phases and we'll get there. Um, so when I do these workshops, you know, that's what I tell them. It's like, this is the technology um, I've been talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin for quite some time. Um, now that I'm Bitcoin only, I, I have them download the wallet right there and then. And I learned quite quickly that the approach that I used to give with giving these workshops, I started with the theory, you know, what is Bitcoin? And let's talk a little bit about mining and how that works and, and asking all these theoretical questions. But the moment that I realized that, you know, hey, you know, when someone asked me, what's Bitcoin? I said, money, you know, Bitcoin is money. Um, I, I changed my approach completely. And so I have them download a wallet in my workshops. 
and I onboard them right away. Uh, Self-custody is really important to us. And so we give them a piece of paper. We, we, right now we're using Moon Wallet. Um, we give them a piece of paper and they write down their backup phrase. And right there and then we give them, you know, five kitsalas worth of Bitcoin. And then they have to send the transaction. And then at the end of the workshop, we have them uninstall Moon and then reinstall it using their phrase. Mm. You know, and that's such an important component uh, because that's when they're like, oh, okay, they understand that their, their money doesn't live on their phone. Mm. Um, it, it, it's backed by the technology. Mm. And, and a lot of people then, you know, they're, they're convinced. And when I say you can change this to Kitsalas whenever they want, they're like, okay, so it's just kind of like a credit card. And I'm like, sure, you know, if you want to use it just as a payment method, that's absolutely valid. Not everybody wants to hodl their Bitcoin. I respect that. Um, these businesses need to pay bills. And so uh, the Bitcoin ATM was a big component of that. And then we have a partnership with another company uh, called CoinKayx. Uh, big up to CoinKayx for working with us. They're a great company. Um, and so they're, they're, they actually offer a service of having like a bit POS. So it's a Bitcoin POS. It's very similar to Moon. You open the app, you type in how much you want to charge. The, the client or the consumer pays for that transaction and then it gets automatically changed into Gitsalas and deposited into their bank account for the people that have bank accounts and for the people that want that option. Mm. So for, for Bitcoin Lake, you know, having those two options, the Bitcoin ATM and CoinKyx as a way for easy cash outs, it was a no brainer for them, you know, and CoinKyx charges 2%. Uh, for locals, the Bitcoin ATM is actually, we're able to have it at 0%. We charge no fees for locals who want to uh, change their Bitcoin into Quetzales, into fiat. And that has made the process so much easier because I'm not um, forcing people to accept a currency uh, that they um, that is that is volatile and they're going to uh, even though I could explain the, the the proposition, which is kind of like a second part of the workshops when we actually talk about Bitcoin more in depth and about science, sound financial practices, um, it's made the job just so much easier. So I'm really grateful to have those two options to be able to offer them to locals. And it's interesting about the the merchant terminals you mentioned, like the FPOS machines, the... Um, They've slashed the fees by what sixty percent, seventy percent. You mentioned that like previously you'd be looking at what five to seven percent fee from a exactly. Marlin credit card provider. They can do it using Bitcoin at two percent. Boom. Exactly. Okay, like that's already yeah. a reason to switch if you're already using the previous system. Um, but now there's a whole load of customers that might come to your shop that previously wouldn't because you would only accept cash. Okay, well now I might sign up for it. So there's a great kind of. This is what's so interesting. It's like one big mess that actually is a huge incentive system that all complements it, it, itself it's it's quite fascinating to yeah. witness, really um okay cool. yeah, you mentioned, yeah. You mentioned there's a few phases to the circular economy and how you're helping it, it it get built so i assume phase one is the cash out that you mentioned what, what are the other two phases that you need to go through so phase one is just building the circular economy in general Okay. Um, and because Bitcoin Lake is social programs funded by Bitcoin, phase one is creating a circular economy. Phase number two, once that, excuse me, once that's actually established, 
phase number two is doing the market research to understand what the people actually need and what the towns actually need. Mm. Because here's what happens in a lot of third world countries, specifically in Guatemala, you have a lot of NGOs that come into Guatemala and they want to help. They have the best intentions, um, but they make a lot of assumptions, you know, oh, you need this product or you need this service. Mm. And there's very little dialogue with the local population mm -hmm. of actually asking them and empowering them and be like, why don't you tell me what you need? And because I'm Guatemalan and because I'm like the perfect bridge and because I'm so convinced that this is my calling, um, I'm, I'm the perfect bridge between the expat community, English speaking community and the local Spanish speaking Guatemalan population mm. that phase number two is all about doing market research. And so literally we're going to go to people's homes and we're going to ask them, what are the things that you need to improve your quality of life? Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, that might be, yeah, I need to learn English because this is, there's a lot of foreigners that come here and, and learning English is going to allow me to attend them better. Um, or I need to learn how to use Facebook as a marketing tool and social media, or maybe I need to learn about computers or whatever it is that they tell us, we're going to gather that data and we're going to create a list of priorities. And with that list of priorities, we can actually move to phase number three, which is the actual execution of the social programs. That's basically going to give us the guide of what it is that we need to do. List number one or priority number one, and we turn that into a social program. And then we, um, we, we come out into the very generous Bitcoin community and we say, this is the new social program. Uh, this is what it intends to do. This is how much Bitcoin we need and ask for donations, you know, for the very generous Bitcoin community and hope that executes. So um, those are the three different phases. So Bitcoin Lake is social programs funded by Bitcoin. Right now we're in that focus of creating that circular economy, but in about six months, probably early 2023 is when we're going to move into phase number two. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a roadmap, so to speak. Um, yes. Wonderful work, Rishi. I mean, it's incredible to listen to. It strikes me that um, building a superior payments network and, you know, store of value, like it's a, it's a new monetary system, right? Bitcoin is just a whole mm -hmm. new paradigm altogether that on its own, is probably the most impactful social program anyone could run anywhere in the world, right? Fix the money. Love that. And you believe that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it strikes me that the, the, um, the playbook that you're creating could be copied and pasted to other geographic zones. So I wonder if you've ever thought about that. This is just me just kind of riffing off your story being like, you know, could you create a Bitcoin late playbook in the same way that, you know, Michael Saylor has his corporate strategy Bitcoin as a um, as the reserve currency of the business type playbook. Maybe you could have something similar on a on a social program level, um, and there'll be people around the world who will be listening to podcasts and trying to work out how to improve their their um, financial systems that will come across it and could potentially use it. That could be really cool. Um, and and the second part of where I was going was um, philanthropy is a an interesting space. Um, my sister in particular is heavily involved. She has a project um, in Lebanon. Uh, she spends time over in Beirut. Um, the the difficulty for and from this is her teaching me um, for charities is you know when people make donations they want total transparency and they don't want any mm -hmm. cost so they just want to know that they give one dollar and it goes directly to the person that needs it. But these programs require 
people and they take time to create and you've got to have a whole lot of due diligence and they're also then hamstrung by a lot of the funding agencies which have all these stipulations and can be very difficult to get funding so they're kind of stuck on two sides which is one you know they want to get as much money as possible to the people that need it but they also need money to actually function as an organization slash mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. that are donors can be very tricky um to deal with so h- how have you found the maybe you haven't got this far yet but the kind of charitable donation space and what's the bitcoin community like when it comes to to, to giving money and could you develop something that is more transparent than the the old system you know when you're not using fiat currencies in between traditional bank accounts with the swift network or electronic transfers or whatever you're having to do you can literally say here's our bitcoin wallet this year we received you know one bitcoin that was a certain amount of payments that went to these five different programs and you can see in theory exactly where your bitcoin went and that would be very cool as well so um yeah does any of that strike a chord Yeah, absolutely. Let me get into that a little bit more. And this is actually a multi-layer question that I want to answer in different parts. So, you know, Bitcoin Lake is going to be and is in process of being an established nonprofit in Guatemala. And there's a reason for this. So Bitcoin Beach really was the catalyst that allowed El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And I know that at one point, the Guatemalan government is going to come knocking, you know, and they're going to be like, what's this that you're doing? And I want Bitcoin Lake to be so transparent and for the good that it's doing to be so obvious that any type of relationship that the government might form about uh, a Bitcoin is bad or uh, there's money laundering happening, I want to showcase, actually, this is the reality of what Bitcoin can do. Um, Look at these social programs, look at uh, how the community has actually benefited from accepting Bitcoin. And we want to be like that poster child in Guatemala to to be able to show them that this is is Bitcoin, you know? Um, And, for us to be able to do that, we need to have completely transparent accounting, not only because we know that the government might come knocking further down the road, uh, but because that's going to inspire confidence as well. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we haven't really opened up publicly to donations yet. Um, right now, we're just kind of community funded uh, because I don't feel comfortable asking for donations until I can actually show you where that money is going down to the cent. Mm-hmm. And we need to design that program. You know, we need to design how that's actually going to work at a technological level from a wallet level. You know, we, we definitely want to accept payments via the Lightning Network. And uh, we're still working on how that's going to consolidate into different wallets so that people can actually view um, how, what our wallet balance is, and we'll have periodic accounting reports, um, all of that information to inspire confidence from the donors and the government is part of our challenge. You know, that's part of the work and we're still in designing phase of what that actually looks like, but that is definitely our goal. And we want to take advantage of the fact that it is transparent. And this is something that has, you know, not been done before, like having very transparent accounting at an uh, NGO level is very difficult to do, but with the right tools, with Lightning Network, with Bitcoin, we're going to be able to do that. I don't even doubt it. So um, we're still designing the program, but that's the goal. Mm, I love that. 
and and just I mean, the audacity of thinking that one can set up a project that might inspire a country to adopt a legal tender status on Bitcoin is absolutely epic we should get it done mate it's it's so cool i mean you said at the start of the conversation you wanted to to help your fellow countrymen and you know you saw this juxtaposition between the haves and haves nots and and to my mind there's nothing more important than helping this technology flourish to help people in their daily lives it just seems so unbelievably obvious to me that this is the future of of so much of people's happiness um and especially in places where the financial systems have been um, they don't function. I mean, the idea that there's a there's no bank in the town and there's a ATM that works fifty percent of the time. I mean, that's hardly a uh, an easy way of doing business, right? Um, yeah. Gosh, how fascinating. Okay, well, Rishi, listen, um, we're coming towards an hour, and uh, I'm conscious of time, so we'll, we'll wrap up in the next kind of five minutes or so. Um, there's one thing I wanted to touch on that we didn't didn't reverse back to you, but you mentioned that you're a libertarian. Um, yes. <laughs> What, was that always the case or has Bitcoin influenced you into that position? Um, and talk to me a bit about what that means to you. Yeah, great question. I, like I mentioned before in my academic background, I, I have an MBA from a local university here called Francisco Marroquin, and it is a libertarian school. Okay. And prior to that, you know, my family was this very highly democratic. And I, I was always leaning more on the conservative side of politics, um, especially, you know, understanding economics a little bit more and realizing the realities of human nature. And when I went to Francisco Martin University, which is a libertarian school, the economics classes that they gave really opened my eyes um, on the terrible job governments do uh, to actually provide the services that they want to provide. And I learned so much about free markets and I learned uh, so much about the chaos of free markets and allowing that to flourish and how much more damage barriers actually do than good and how actually hard, how, how difficultly hard, how difficultly hard um, it is to create a law that actually works. And um, that was the heaviest influence in uh, my libertarian way of thinking. And when I was introduced to Bitcoin, it was just like true love when I, when I read it. You know, it just really, um, really went with my own personal values. It made so much sense to me. It was talking about free market. It was talking about the fact that I, you know, I, it's permissionless. It was talking about consensus mechanisms and it was talking about um, how it just can't be censored. And it just made so much sense to me for, for the fact that anybody can, anybody with a smartphone and an internet connection can download uh, a wallet and have access to the system without so many barriers. And being in Guatemala, I just, it made so much sense to me. So. Yeah, it was true love. Once I read about Bitcoin, it was incredible. Wonderful. Uh, it's um, it's a subject that I'm becoming familiar with just more latterly in my life, more recently, and that's largely because of the influence of Bitcoin. Interestingly, so yeah, the business uh, business school experience I had was much more of a kind of Keynesian philosophy driven mm. organization that was all about you know enabling government spending to you know fix everything basically. 
Uh, unsurprisingly, they probably got funded by the government, right? So uh, that, that, that did influence my thinking for a long time. And you know, Austrian economics in that kind of degree is a footnote. So to hear that there are libertarian universities out there is actually really cool. Um, I yeah. wish there was more of them. Um, so Rishi, so um, one question I forgot to ask, and this is uh, just, just you, you triggered me during that explanation. Um, Bitcoin requires an internet connection and a smartphone. So in Guatemala, you mentioned 70% unbanked, right? How many of them have smartphones? There are two smartphones for every Guatemalan. You're kidding me. <laughs> I'm wow. not kidding you. So you've got 200% um, because... penetration of the tool that's required to access Bitcoin with 70% of the population without it. Without a bank, exactly, wow. exactly. That Guatemala that, has that, one of the that highest in itself just cell speaks volumes, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. So the infrastructure is there. You know, the infrastructure is there. Yeah. Um, we just need the educational aspect, yeah, which is what we're doing. You know, we're doing the groundwork of teaching them how to do that. Connecting the dots. Well, Rishi, listen. An hour's gone by. Thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck building Bitcoin Lake. It's a incredible project and you sound like you've made some great progress so my final question is where can people reach out and get in touch if they want to thank you jay thank you so much for having me here everybody uh, you can uh, reach us at bitcoin lake through across, across social media we're on facebook we're on instagram and we're on twitter as at bitcoin lake uh, you can also check out our website at bitcoinlake.org and we even have tiktok uh, we don't have a lot of TikToks up yet, just yet, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we know that this is this is definitely for the young people here in Guatemala. We want to get them involved, so that's coming. But uh, thank you so much, Jake, for having me here. I had a great time. Thank you so much for everything. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Rishi. Take care. Friends, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to Bitcoin with Jake. Early support for the show has been so encouraging, so I couldn't be more appreciative of people sharing their most important resource, their time. Remember, if you like what you heard, please share the episode far and wide. And if you want to get in touch, please reach out, as I would love to hear from you. The best place is Twitter. My handle is at Jake E.S. Woodhouse, or the podcast handle is at Bitcoin with Jake. Enjoy the rest of your day. All the best, Jake.